2: With Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes! Caught offside from just outside of New York City and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. Happy New Year, brother. Happy New Year, Andrew. It's a a
1: new year that started with one of the strangest and, and scariest sporting nights I've ever experienced last night. And I think we should talk about it even if it's not in the football code that we usually discuss.
2: Yeah, yeah, I know. I was up, as I'm sure many of you were, I was up late last night uh, watching ESPN's coverage of what had occurred during Monday Night Football with DeMar Hamlin. It was um, it was terrifying. It was terrifying to see. Oh, God, it was those same feelings of, uh, for me at least, of watching christian erickson with denmark at the 2020 euros those same exact feelings just came rushing back in seeing a player in that kind of distress uh in that sort of way like the way he like like with erickson uh and hamlin just you know the way they fell to the ground it's, it's one of those immediate signs that something is not right here um the looks on the players faces as it was all transpiring again an immediate sign that something is horribly wrong here um Boy, it just gave you so many of those similar feelings all over again. It was it was it was really terrifying. We're recording this at about six in the morning on Tuesday. I, I just woke up and saw that the Bills put out an update saying uh, that after a hit, he suffered a cardiac arrest, but his heartbeat was restored on the field, and now he's um, sedated at the UC Medical Center. Um, I mean, it's just it was a, a horrible, horrible night in in this sport and in in the NFL and uh yeah it's incredible how quickly such a huge game can become so utterly meaningless um, totally meaningless
1: yeah um so i was at the barkley center for the nets uh taking on the spurs which was it, w- it was such a cool uh, event because i'm catching the nets in like this run of of brilliant play and they are so entertaining to watch so halfway through, um, I'm looking up, I'm looking down at the at the court and there's a break in play. And the next thing, what should pop up only the uh, Ashraf Hakimi's penalty against Spain. So I'm watching it on the big screen. I'm like, oh, he must be here. And sure enough, he's here. Andrew, the, the reception Hakimi got for someone who, in terms of, I know to the soccer watching public, Hakimi is a big deal. We know who he is, but to see how he's been cemented in the minds of the casual sports fan, uh, there was a lot of, there was just a great reception, and then a little later, uh, Kylian Mbappe comes up on the big screen, and the roar is is just amazing in the ground. And I'm, I'm, I'm watching all this, and I think how how cool it is that those guys are there. I'm also watching Kyrie Irving put on a masterclass. And I'm watching the roars that he get. The biggest cheer of the night for anyone was for a rebound dunk. Am I using the correct term? Um, that's right. Is it put back dunk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're fine. An amazing piece of play from Kyrie Irving. Like the, it lifts the roof when he does it. And I'm I'm there, and I'm you know what I'm like, Andrew. I don't just. Sometimes I think too deeply. I should just enjoy watching Kyrie do his thing, but I'm thinking about how up the crowd are for everything that he does and how sports has this ability to, to wash even the most detestable things away very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that long ago when we were talking about Kyrie Irving and anti-Semitism. And, and just, I, I, the way I just, you just
2: use sports and wash in the same sentence, it's it's almost like there's a... A phrase for this yes
1: almost like uh yes it's called sports cleansing, sports oh, cleansing. oh that's I it see. so i'm watching this and the next thing i'm getting I'm, I'm i'm getting the the demar hamlin uh video sent to me by my friend I, I i could have done without seeing it because that kind of i mean there's no gore to it there's there seems to be just a, a fairly straightforward hit and in and in the same way as christian erickson it all it all happens really really quickly and the distress on the play, on, on the, fairs, the Bills players' faces, everybody's face. It just a horrible, horrible night. And um, it took me back to that phone call that you gave me. So uh, unprofessional that I am back in, in, what, June 2021, I decided that if there was a game I could skip from the group stages while I'm on vacation in Delaware, it was Finland-Denmark. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I get a few text messages from you, that phone call that you gave me was, I never want that to happen again about Ericsson. It was, you could barely speak what you, what you thought you'd saw was, was a man die on the field. It kind of more or less was what you saw, except there was a, a happy ending and a revival. Um, I don't know. It just, just last night, this thing that we do where we, we talk about soccer and we're going to do it now. We have a great pod lined up, but we're going to talk about soccer in these, you know, very, very serious tones. Are Chelsea in crisis? Are Liverpool in decline? You know all this stuff. It's utterly meaningless when something like what we saw last night and with Christian Eriksen is is like put in front of you. When you watch real time, the fragility of life. It's it, it it's so meaningless what we do in, in probably everything. You could say the same. There's probably a banker going to work today on Wall Street who watched that last night and think what I do is. And the relevance.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, everything in life is relative, <laughs> like, you know, it, and the NFL came to the right conclusion last night. They couldn't continue that game. There was no way that they could continue that game with what those players thought they had just witnessed with their teammate. Um No, I mean, so yeah, it, it's all everything's relative. Of course, no, none of this means anything. Like you said, nothing, nothing means anything. I mean, like, if you wanted to do the the right thing all day, yeah, like, pe- there are certain jobs that provide great meaning to society. Um, but like, yes. for the most part, like, the the most meaningful thing that I could do with my day is to just like take off work and spend the day with my kids. Like, but you know, this is we do have jobs, and like, it's so we have I, to have to I make know, the I things just, that seem utterly meaningless. We have to treat them with meaning.
1: I, I know, and 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 also, there's that, and we're getting deep here, but like, anything in life including sports, including the game I watched last night, uh, it's human beings that apply the meaning to it. We give everything we do the meaning. But I'm just saying it's so rare that death in real time, you know, inserts itself into our lives. Because I've said this before, you know, the way we are uh, as 21st century people, as modern people living in the West, we don't see death that much. Death is something that happens somewhere else or it happens to us, you know, in tragic circumstances, but we're not there to see it. So when you see what happened to DeMar Hamlin, Christian Ericsson, it's a jolt. It really is. And I just right now, I'm just I'm going to be it's going to be hard to do anything other to other um, than to refresh all day long and wait for updates on on DeMar Hamlin.
2: Yeah. And certainly, I mean, like I said, the, the most the most recent update that we saw from Buffalo Bills seemed if if i had to ascribe a word to it it seemed positive um you know the fact that they were able to restore his heartbeat uh he is still in critical condition so it's obviously still a, a very tense serious situation um but the fact that it seems like the the right thing has happened and that they were able to to restore his heartbeat and now he's undergoing testing yeah um you know obviously not not knowing that our our tone and the way would we'd be feeling about this would probably be different they But hopefully, hopefully, this is heading towards another um, positive direction. But there is still in in a period of uncertainty, and it's just a reminder that you know these guys like it's for entertainment, and they do it you know because they love it. They do it for huge sums of money. Um, Mm. But my God, is it dangerous? It's horribly dangerous. It is. It really Um, is. At at its best, you know, it's football, any sport. I mean, it's there are wonderful things about it teamwork that you learn um you know just like being a part of something uh how it's fun like i played football it's it's really fun i loved it um but at its core like there can be rule changes you know soccer's facing the same thing with like what to do with headers at certain ages to prevent head injuries you know Sports can, they can do all they can to try to litigate the danger out of the game, but sometimes it just is what it is. The sport is the sport, and there will always be an element of danger uh, to some of these things, and these guys, they do, you know, even though it is for a lot of money, they do put themselves on the line for, you know, uh, week in, week out, and that's, uh, sometimes we're served really harsh reminders of, of what that can look like, and last night was one of those nights.
1: I think um there's a larger conversation to be had about the future of football as it in its current guise but we'll save that for another time I think it's uh, it's a bit too deep for or, or probably too expansive for this hour of the morning on a lighter note on a lighter note before we get into into the festive football we're we're still we're just out of the the festive period although technically for us Catholics it doesn't end till I think January 6th, so we're, we're oh, still... Oh, is that to... right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the feast that's on January 6th, and I'm sure there's people yelling at me right now, but I'll, I'll look it up later. Please, it's... um The gall, the nerve of Hakimi to show himself in the same state as you, considering the penalty he took at the World Cup and how that offended you.
2: He, uh, incredible. He can't even be in the same state as me? Is that no. that's part of the rule? I mean, I mean, yeah, I I'll, you... I'll take you out of the game, but boy, it doesn't mean that you're banned from entering certain state lines.
1: Um, I, I felt it was. I thought he rubbed your nose in it a little bit, Andrew. To be honest, with just showing up at the Brooklyn Nets. You
2: know that is cool that they got such a huge ovation. I kind of. I, I
1: haven't heard it myself. Oh, it was so um, cool! It was brilliant, and um, I, I don't, wanna, <laughs> I don't have a go at the the Yes Network, but the, on the Yes broadcast, I think they may have missed. So in stadium, Hakimi got a great roar, and and. Hakimi was introduced with his iconic moment, with his goal and celebration. How great is that? Yeah. Uh, but I think the S yes network kind of ignored Hakimi and just like went with the big, the big marquee star uh, when Mbappe was, which is whatever. Um, but the whole stadium was aware of who the two people were, and like I said, the the only roar bigger was for a piece of magic from Kyrie Irving. Um, because when Mbappe came up in the screen. I, I'm trying to. I'm struggling to think of the last time. You know, the star of ABC's blah 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 is just not going to get the roar that Mbappe got. Like everyone, the recognition of Mbappe was stunning. It was really, really cool. Um, and now I'm off to write 500 words on why soccer has really arrived in the United States.
2: Yeah, we're throwing out the rest of the pod. We're changing format, <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna use this as a springboard in talking about the sports popularity and its arrival the
1: tedious, the most tedious question in sports radio and we get asked it all the time by people who don't regularly cover soccer in a world cup year when do you think soccer is going to take off in this country are
2: we, are we getting close right when is yeah when is soccer going to be popular here no 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 it is it just isn't for you <laughs> <laughs> that's it oh anyway um yeah so now we go from all that to the more mundane jj clubs in crisis Dun, 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 dun. That's right. So we've entered we've entered the new year. The calendar has done that thing when it when it changes over. And the passage of time continues, <laughs> and we're into twenty twenty three. And so with that, um, there are certain clubs, JJ, that seem like they have brought some of their twenty twenty two problems into twenty twenty three. And now we're at that point in the season, not quite at the halfway mark yet, um, in terms of the games played. Getting close. But we're at that point now where the term club in crisis is beginning to uh, to rear its head in regard to certain clubs. So I've listed, how many do I have here? I think I have four listed here. Um, we'll go through them one at a time. And first and foremost, I want you to tell me whether or not they are, in fact, a club in crisis. Okay, you ready? Yeah, okay. All right, let's start with Chelsea, JJ. Are they a club in crisis? Uh, um, n- yes and no.
1: That's, I think what's going- that
2: can't be an answer.
1: Okay, well then I'll say no. They're okay. not. Okay, I'm going to say no. Um I think what they are is a club in a a problem. So <laughs> the, right now they've got they've got a new <laughs> manager and and they've done this most un-Chelsea like thing where it seems as if what they're going to do is build with him for the future and maybe take short-term pain. Now, that's that, doesn't, that hasn't described Chelsea in about 20 years. Okay, that, that's never really described them. Probably even before um, uh, Abramovich came in, the last few years of the 90s. So this is this is new territory for them. I think they're struggling. In, in the way that the squad is set up and the players that are at the club, it was, it was very interesting. I was listening to Jonathan Wilson the other day and he kind of painted it in fairly basic terms. The importance of the wing-backs to the way Chelsea play and to their attack... Is just so enormous, and they don't have them now. And the wingbacks that they do have, Aspillagueta and Cucurella, is not. They just don't function as well as the other two, that are Ben Chilwell, Reece James, that are gone now. And, the, but the the interesting point, and I'm go, I know I'm going to get pushback from you on this one, the the point that Jonathan made was, the attacking triumvirate or or whatever attacking players Chelsea have need those runs to either drag another defender, drag defenders out of position, or create overloads or whatever in the Chelsea attack because Pulisic, Ziyech themselves, they're good players. They're, they're good players, don't get me wrong. But they don't have that magic to create on their own. So they need Rhys James Bauman. They need Chilwell. They need that width. They need those runs. And they don't have it right now, and it's one win in five for them. And so I'm not going to say it's a crisis because there is a seeming uh, willingness to to kind of build and 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 stick with Potter and and create this this new team at Chelsea. But why it's not working right now is 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 personnel based and injury based.
2: So they're ninth right now. Uh, they've scored 20 goals this season. To put that in perspective, okay. So what does that mean? Well, that's eight fewer than Brighton, nine yeah. fewer than Fulham, ten yeah. fewer than Brentford. Chelsea, yeah. JJ.
1: Yeah, I um, know, I know, and that's why people will say crisis. Um, I mean, like, just look at the at the at the stats from their trip to uh, the City Ground in Nottingham. I mean. All right, they had seven shots. Oh, okay, they had two shots on target, and that's from like seven three three percent of the possession. This is a team that's just not functioning correctly. Now we're hearing kind of rumours of the Chelsea of old, where they're literally going to make Enzo Fernandez the most expensive player in the history of English football. That's that's a strong rumor that we're hearing. Um, so that that has that has kind of the hallmarks of old Chelsea. Um, yeah,
2: the number that I've seen uh, put to that is 127 million paid out in installments. Yeah, look,
1: if you if I'm know there'll be um, non-Chelsea supporting people probably screaming at their at their devices right now, saying this is absolutely a crisis. Um, I think in the longer term, I I just don't see it that way. And look, there was two managers signings in particular that didn't make a lot of sense, and they are trying to. To bring in this Potter style, this this Potter way of playing into a squad that two successive managers have struggled to figure out. And that attack has been the issue. If, if I told you in the summer of 2020 when uh, they spent all that money under Frank Lampard, like 200-something and something million... Uh, m- mostly on attacking players. If I told you, Andrew, the attack would be the major problem at Chelsea right now, you probably wouldn't have believed me. But...
2: Then, I would say, then I would say they're a club in crisis because the okay. amount of money that they've devoted to that part of the field, if, it, if, it, if you told me this a couple of years ago, I'd say to you, if it all went horribly wrong and every single one of those things have failed, then it means they've spent an extraordinary amount of money on yeah. an area of the field that has exploded and not worked for them. And that okay. is a, a real problem. Okay, real so problem. You're, say-
1: you're saying in crisis.
2: Yeah, I think it's fair to say that. Now, okay. I get what you're saying, too. Like, oftentimes a club in crisis means, okay, we've got to blow this up and start over. Um, and that usually begins with the manager. And I don't think that's the case. I mean, look, the way it's going for Graham Potter right now, it's it's uncertain whether or not this is headed in, in, a, in a right direction. Um, but it's still so new. He hasn't even had yeah. a transfer window yet uh, to bring in players that he thinks fit his system. So, like, I, I do get what you're saying. But I also feel like you're making my point for me a little bit when you say if I were to tell you a couple of years ago with all that money and all those players they brought in, it's all yeah. and and it hasn't worked. And that's the weird thing about it is like, you know, if I list the names for you—Havertz, Abamying, Pulisic, Zieh, Mount, Sterling—like if I say each of these names individually, like I don't know, I do think those are all really, really good players to me. I mean, well, some outside- of them.
1: Outside of Aubameyang, none of them scream goals. Lots of goals, Andrew.
2: Well, that's the thing. Is like as good as they all may be, they all do have question marks with that come along with them. There's not really a sure thing there among that group. Well, well if you look at it,
1: let's and, and let's let's just look at it based on what they've done at Chelsea. Hakim Ziyech hasn't really worked out for him. We thought he'd be gone at this point already. I mean, the the rumors were very strong. He'd be one of the guys out the door. Hasn't happened. He's remained. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, he's probably finished and definitely can't play exactly the way that uh, Graham Potter wants. So, so there's a problem there. Um, Kai Havertz struggled at Chelsea since he's been bought. Raheem Sterling started well, faded off. He's still probably their biggest goal threat. And Christian Pulisic never been a starter for Chelsea. In fact, this most recent run feels like his most the longest run of 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 kind of being that guy, a go-to guy for the club that he's had for, for ages. So Well,
2: since since that stretch, you know, when he was... He had that stretch, I think, what was it, in the latter part of his first season there? Uh, where yeah, he after was the hat-trick at Burnley. In, yeah, where, you know, that into, you know, it, it kind of started with that and then sort of unfortunately ended at the FA Cup final when he scored and then went off injured. But, um,
1: but you you would say that he can score goals, but he is... Uh, by no means a prolific goal scorer and by no means a guaranteed goal scorer. Yeah. So you put you put all that together and then you have your an attack that was kind of um honed under Tuchel to to be good with with width and 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 wing backs and and that's not really available now. Is it any wonder this thing is kind of chugging along in a in not a great state.
2: Yeah, I guess it's all relative as to what a crisis is. Um, like for Chelsea, you know, again, they're ninth in the table. Um, so like for what, for what expectations are like for them, look, the expectation should be contending for title. Like that, that should be it, especially when it's, I don't mean this as an offense, we'll talk about them, but like when it's Arsenal atop the table, now granted Arsenal are doing things on like, in terms of accruing points on sort of like a Man City scale, um, you know, they're, they're playing at that level as to what we've seen Man City and Liverpool do the past couple seasons. But in terms of, like, the squad itself, um, you know, there's no reason. Chelsea should look at that team and say, OK, they're very good, but, like, are they that much better than us? The, well, there's, the... two,
1: there's two components. If, if, you're, if you're bought in, like I'm suggesting, to the, the idea of a long-term build, OK, then, then fine. You're, you're understanding the situation right now. But then there's the other factor of Bo- Todd Boley-Brain. And the amount of money that has been spent on this club, the idea that they're not going to be in the Champions League is not probably not acceptable. Um, Yes, we're having a rebuild, but can we rebuild while we're in Europe's elite competition from which we need the revenue? Um, I mean, Chelsea were a huge investment. The idea that they wouldn't be in, in Europe's elite competition is rebuild or not, that 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 probably constitutes as something of a crisis.
2: And that's what they're staring down. There's a lot of clubs. There's a lot of clubs between them in a Champions League place right now. Um so it will be it will be a challenge for them. Uh let's go to the next one JJ. Are Liverpool a club in crisis? Uh yes.
1: Um mm-hmm. I mean if if I know we're playing the crisis game. Uh trademark Andrew Gundling 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh like technically, we should be playing the decline game because I think this team is in in decline. It's much more serious than a, a mini crisis. Um, that performance yesterday was as bad as most Liverpool fans can remember under Klopp. It was that first half was outside of the opening maybe ten fifteen minutes, which is dreadful, just dreadful. Um, we can be got at. Like, let's take the totality of the, of the Leicester and the uh, Brentford games, put them together. Like, look, look at the Leicester goal, where Dewsbury Hall just <laughs> runs down the centre, and there's no midfield. No midfield even close, and there's no centre defenders even close. There, there's just a gap opens up. Um, it makes you look at the Gakpo signing and think, my God, guys, is this the area of need? I mean I've been banging the drum forever. The, the the midfield, Andrew. There's some curious things happening. First of all, the midfield's allowed to be get old, uh to you know, to to go into decline itself. If Henderson's not there, then and and he played terribly against Leicester, so I don't know why I'm even saying that, but that midfield has a it's fallen apart over the last few years. Uh Jeannie leaving was a big part of that. I mean if you look at the that midfield at its peak with Henderson, Winaldon uh, you know it was it was strong, it was physical, it was athletic, it got pressure on the ball now they don 't do that. It looks slow and leggy, and even good players like Tiago, who are good on the ball they don 't look like they 've got the legs or the engine to to cover the ground in the way we want to and if you 're going to play the high line that we do, then you need pressure on the ball up the field everyone's sick of 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 that being the case because we know it to be the case, and the investment hasn 't gone into the midfield and then you look at where investment has gone into the midfield, and Keita, he just... Like, why is he not starting? Like, Harvey Elliott may go on to have a great career for Liverpool or somewhere else, skillful footballer, etc. Not not athletic enough to do the things that need to be done in the midfield. Just isn't. And not physical enough. And you knew what you were getting from Brentford. You knew what it was going to be. Keita cannot... If he can give you 45 minutes, like... Surely he should give you the first forty-five minutes. I I don't understand. Like he's been a disastrous signing when you look at it. I mean, how long is he at the club? I mean, he was going to be the one that 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 slotted into that midfield and moved that midfield forward, and it's it's just not been the case. It's just an area uh, where investment hasn't worked or where there's been a lack of investment, and it's um it's all coming apart. And then Andrew, when you do have chances, when you do. Cr- create chances and and, like Liverpool are still capable of some lovely passages of play but you see that move with Salah he plucks it out of the air turns and slides in Darwin Nunez Nunez goes around the goalkeeper and I I mean some people will say what a great block by Ben Mee it's not Nunez's fault I'm sorry your 80 million pound striker he's got to slot that
2: he I don't know I I put me in the category of somebody who will give that one to Ben Mee rather than take that one away from Darwin Núñez. I All thought right, that was okay. just brilliant defensive okay. pl- play His by gen- him.
1: It, but but like you have you have that thing up front where Salah and Núñez are both um their xG is destroying them, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the goals aren't going in and I mean we didn't score against Leicester. We won the game but we didn't wow. score. Fout fest had ah mm-hmm. oh, horrifying like when we look at the at the the Rogues Gallery of Premier League players with own goals, there's always Richard Dunn as a top, you know, and then there's Jamie Carher. and uh, and then there's probably inserted in there somewhere is, is, is Vout face after that, who's had it a great was, season. It was
2: just it was spectacular because yeah, the own goals were so unique. Like it wasn't well, this, just like some this, this like a guy on the- firing one from twenty yards out that like went off his just mm. went off his butt or his leg and happened to go in like no they were so intricate and detailed i don't know (laughs) it was amazing that it happened twice in such short succession i mean the first one where he
1: slices it into the air with that spin and it ends up like everyone thought it was gone over the bar and it ends up in a corner of the net that you could put the greatest goalkeepers of all time all of them into the goal and they couldn't stop that let alone danny ward and then um I mean to sum up, Nunez in Liverpool. Nunez dinks one over the goalkeeper. It hits the post, and and Ves Canada, Canada just enough, and he just kicks it into his own net. It's just, oh my god! Um, but, it was but funny
2: that- when that was happening, JJ. Um, mm. You know, because I do the, I still am in the fantasy Premier League, and I remember watching that and thinking, ha, the poor, the poor bastard that has him on their team. And I forgot. Then I went to my lineup. I forgot I have him. He was oh, on my God. team. Oh yeah. If you're perfect. curious, I believe he finished with minus. I think it was minus four point seven for the night. which, mean, which the I can amp, tell you was horrifying.
1: The, the cop were shouting at him every time he got the ball in the second half to shoot. Just, <laughs> just amazing. But back to Liverpool. It's um, and and then the third goal. Just well, I, I, right. So I've what have I done? I've said the midfield's not working. I've said the strikers aren't scoring their chances. What's the other component? Yeah. Defensively.
2: Mm, here we go.
1: How how do you allow, after after a goal's been ruled out for VAR, you should, I mean, I would have thought, like, very narrowly, you should be switched on. How do you allow a Brentford attacker in between Trent Alexander-Arnold and I think was it kanate or Van Dijk? Can't remember. Doesn't matter. He's They right all there. had
2: problems at, at one point or another.
1: But, yeah, but he's right there. Pick him up. Pick him up. And it's a free header, unbelievable. And then, um, I mean, was it in Buemo on uh, on Canate? Just,
2: I mean, and, and I even co- certain certain passages of play that didn't result in goals early, relatively early in the game. I forget who it was. I think it was in Buemo, who just he just runs by Van Dyke and goes in, and Ederson makes a good save. But you kind of would have thought again, like, okay, early warning signs, switch on. Um, I was reading this, JJ, from, uh, you know, because cause the thing that we've most kind of attributed, like when we think of this era of Liverpool, you know, I, I know we talk about heavy metal football, emotional football, all that. But ultimately, uh, all of that is kind of generating from the same thing, the press. Yeah. That, pre- that, that press that, that Jurgen Klopp employs and a lot of, so much of Liverpool's success kind of begins with that, with you know the, the way that they turn teams over in dangerous parts of the field and the lethal finishing that they then have to finish it off. Um, and so I've always kind of wondered about that press. Uh, Jonathan Wilson, he, he wrote about it and what's going on with Liverpool right now, and he said, A modern press is an almost infinitely complicated weapon, one that relies upon mutual understanding and interaction. A good one, when it works, can smother an opponent, but the multifacetedness that makes it such a difficult weapon to combat is also what makes it so vulnerable to malfunction. And so I was thinking about that uh, with what that means with Liverpool. Now, look, some of that is the players that you do have up front uh, who, you know, how good can they be at this thing? Like, it's not, you know, they're attack-minded players, but once you're in a press, you're a defender now. Uh, You know, so can those guys do it both ways? But the other thing that I've always felt with that is he's right. If a press breaks down, you can immediately be in a precarious position. The thing with Liverpool is that they had the best defender in the world anchoring at the back of this that I think allowed them to do things It allowed Trent to push forward you know Fabinho also helped with that when he would kind of drop in back behind but you know having Van Dyke back there I think was just such a security blanket Uh, and it allowed them to do these sorts of things further up the field because they knew they had somebody back who had such great instincts and could get to some balls and and clear them away before they became anything dangerous on a through pass and I just watch him now and, and sure he's still good he's very good but he's not I don't think, to me, he's what he was three years ago. And I think that, you know, I think you saw some of the warts of that in this game. And I think you've seen some of the warts of that over the course of this season. And I just wonder if, if the press, if it cannot be as effective as it was because they have to be a little bit more careful with what's back behind.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I know you're right. And, you know, he's had the ACL injury. People say he's never really fully come back from that. I think also players get older. Uh, but the press is a big thing. I mean, how many defences, how many central defensive pairings who play a high line want a guy with time on the ball to play a pass with no pressure on? I mean, nobody does. Regardless of how good you are, your recovery pace, your your ability to get back and clear things. Uh, and there was, there was a moment where uh, it showed, I think it's that incident, uh, and at halftime, the NBC guys did the little thing where they highlight all the players. And... Just Thiago, Elliot, uh, just miles off where they should have been, Andrew. Like, sometimes it's just as simple as we don't have the legs in midfield. The legs are gone. The legs were there, but they are no longer there. And um, and so when a team like Brentford or a team like anybody gets the ball, I mean, it, it did strike me uh, last week watching them against Leicester, last Friday watching them against Leicester, how how zippy and quick Leicester's midfield looked against uh, versus Liverpool's, you know, in transition. Not, not, like, Liverpool can still look good on the ball. They definitely can. But when it breaks down, how quickly other teams can get at them and how quickly or how not quickly Liverpool recover, it's just not, it's just not the way this team is set up. And you can have all the Cody Gakpos in the world. They're not going to make, I mean, he will, you would think make some kind of a difference to the team hopefully it's a positive one but he's not going to be some kind of elixir to fix all these ills
2: yeah he may not have he may be very good but he may not have been what they needed uh, no, in this situation
1: and and look you know what they need may not be available until the summer mm-hmm, but it true. it really then puts this huge pressure on and it's not it's it's not just Jude Bellingham who we're alluding to here. It's not just him. You probably need two more, Andrew. That's three midfielders to go into a top-class team. How much is that going to cost you? Are FSG going to commit to that, especially when they're thinking, at least thinking about selling the club? And and you put all this together, and this is how a football club goes into decline.
2: When they're all healthy, I can't wait to see Liverpool march out the rare 4-6 formation. I'm looking forward to that. Um, we'll see. Uh, let's see the next one, JJ. Let's go to Tottenham. And here we go. Well, the um, floor
1: is yours, Senator, because I believe, and, and it's just my feeling, that uh, Antonio Conte's press conference from the horrific defeat to Aston Villa at home on New Year's Day, that should have been conduct the game should have been conducted in London, but the... Post game press conference needed to happen at Turf Moor at Burnley. Yeah, that's where that needed to happen. For there, to should, him, I, there should there yeah, should always Burn-
2: be a a crisis helicopter standing by to take him uh, to Burnley. And and he'll you know after a loss he'll kind of look at someone and they'll they'll kind of give him that look of crisis, and then he'll either say nod his head yes or no. And if it's yes, they immediately usher him to the helicopter where the podium has been assembled at, at Turf Moor, and then he <laughs> can speak. Um. And if that was the case, I think uh, well, I think this this might have qualified because it's starting to feel like that, JJ. And it's and it's interesting with Tottenham because for so much of the season, like I think we were starting to get a sense of what this was going to be for Spurs this year. Like, okay, I think we got an idea somewhat early on. You know, I don't know that this is a team that can contend for a title, but they kind of had this formula of, you know, we're gonna. We're going to do enough against the teams beneath us. We're going to be able to bully those teams in defense. They're not going to be able to really break us down. Um, But they're going to struggle with teams kind of around or above them and that formula was probably going to be enough for them to be a Champions League qualifier. You know, like they they lost to Arsenal, United, Liverpool, Newcastle. Remember how badly they were outplayed by Chelsea but they got that 2-2 draw in that game. Like I think we could see, okay, for whatever reason, the way they're, they're the way they're trying to set up, they're not going to do well against big clubs, but they should be able to do well against the ones beneath them and that may be enough because there's a lot of clubs beneath them. But like then you start to watch the performances against those clubs. You know, eliminated from the League Cup by Nottingham Forest. Okay, that's it's the League Cup. But for Tottenham, a club that has this dark cloud hanging over them of not having won a trophy in a generation, like that, that matters. That one matters for them. Then you throw in some really like, again, they qualified for the knockout stage of the Champions League, but it wasn't without some heinous performances mixed in along the way against, again, Good teams, Frankfurt, Sporting Lisbon, these are good teams. I'm not trying to be arrogant about it, but like Tottenham are supposed to be a, a really good team in the best league in the world. Like it, it shouldn't have been so difficult for them having to go to Marseille on the final day of, of, Champions League group stage. Then you throw in the draw versus Brentford, where they were really outplayed. Now, I know in the last 20 minutes they could have gotten a winner, but for 70 minutes of that game, they were not better than Brentford. Now, this loss to Aston Villa. And so, like, okay, if you accepted that they're probably not going to be beating the best teams this year, you don't like that, but you kind of came to that conclusion. Well, now if they're not doing against these teams, well, what are you left with? Now, what are you left with? And like, I see that, JJ, and I think about the manager, and you know, Look, he's got a wildly impressive resume. He does. He's a great manager. So you give him every chance to get it right, and oftentimes cuz he's him, he gets the benefit of the doubt. But I'll tell you what, man, if he if he were almost any other guy, you'd be thinking about making some awfully difficult decisions right now. And, and like and the the thing for him, the thing for him that bothers me is because uh, so once again he goes into that mode of like deflecting blame mode. It's it's def- it's time we got to deflect I got to deflect blame again. I need to start thinking about my next job and I, I, you know the comments I start making now I need to be putting out there for the next club that might hire me. They need to understand why this is going the way that it is. Can't be my fault. I'm worried about the next job. He says this JJ um, he said, we have to fight every game for one point or for three points. This is the truth, especially when you're without two or three important players and have difficulties. We have different characteristics. We don't have many players who are really good to beat the man. We don't have many creative players in our team. I mean, I mean he if, was, he if was you told with... me that this was, this was three years ago and it was Mourinho making that comment, I would have said, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, you just live. Like, that's what this is, and we would destroy him for it. So, yeah. like, honestly... With regard to Conte, yeah, I, I acknowledge all his greatness and all that, but like stuff like this, spare me this stuff. Like you're going to complain about a squad that has Kane, Son, Kulisevsky, Perisic. You know, I know they don't have some some of their players weren't available this past weekend, Benton, Corbett, Charlison. But like you're going to complain about all this at, with, with that squad after a loss to Villa. spare me man after that performance against Brentford if you want to do that after Man City I won't like it because I think Tottenham should be able to at least compete with those teams but if you want to do it after Man City or you know Real Madrid in a Champions League fine like uh, to me it's whiny baby stuff but fine but you're gonna make comments like that you know we don't have the characteristics after a loss to Villa Uh, I don't know I can't I can't accept that
1: I just can't no I'm with you and and again you know the stuff like you said there is the the smack of framing his time already before he even leaves. You know, putting it in a certain context. Um, uh, you know, he had some comments about, I've made it clear to everybody at the club. we well, made it clear what? That you want to spend whelps of money, huge amounts of money, uh, on bringing in new players. I, I think as well, we're at that point with the Mourinho, where we accepted... In the brief periods where it was going okay for Mourinho at Tottenham, we accepted the dour football. Tottenham are so hard to watch now. Like, yeah, just awful. And um, that game, it's not like, I know Villa scored. I I really did like the goal that Douglas Luiz scored. I thought that was a good goal, Um, albeit Tottenham were marked absent at the back. But I, I thought he took it well. But it's not like Villa were unbelievable in this game. You know, like, oh, they blew the, Tottenham couldn't cope. It's not like that. It's just Tottenham were inept themselves. Yeah, and there were little signals of, you know, where things have just gone off the boil. They're just it shows the it shows the nature of football. Football is a vibes game and a confidence game. And and I know the stats guys don't like us talking in this way. They don't like to hear about momentum or or things like that. But when you're in a as as uh, foreign managers say, and now apparently England managers too, when you're in a good moment, you know the moment, uh, things click. You saw that 1-2 with Son and Kane in the second half. I mean, last season, Son doesn't overcook that. It's straight into Kane's feet, and that's 2-1. One, or 1-1, one, one, I think, at that point. Um, but but it, Kane, um, Son just gets it wrong. He overhits it, and Kane immediately turns around to him with the plaintive face, like, come on, man. So it's all kind of just a bit fizzled out. And I think we read too much into the finish of the season, um, last season. Villa, again was the was the kind of the, the 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 I suppose the not the turning point but where you thought you know Spurs were really outplayed at Villa Park last season towards the end of that game in the run in last season and Tottenham just ripped them apart and it they ripped them apart why cuz Kane was really clever and Son was running off him i mean there was no great intelligent like intricate passing it was just really good at counter attacking football which 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 is you know, it's important too. But that's that's gone now. There's no there's no vestige of that left. Um, and you're kind of sick of Conte now. And you look at the abuse Manchester United took for, for not getting him in. You know, and now it looks like United have gone for the long-term option in Ten Hag and it's Spurs that are again doing short-termism. You know, there was... I can't remember the article I, I, I read it in over the weekend, but... Uh it was basically saying, Okay, Conte got Tottenham to the top four last season. Great. Great. Was it worth this though? You know, I mean could Tottenham well, have taken yes, have taken could Tottenham have taken a little pain and spent a little bit longer to get the right man in. Now I was talking to my friend uh Brian, owner of the Black Horse pub here in Brooklyn, and he's a massive Tottenham fan. And he feels as if Pachettino will, will they'll eventually work their way
2: back to him. If that's how I feel too.
1: Yeah, it just seems like it seems like a thing Levy would do. Now, Pochettino's stock has I would say dropped a fair amount, uh but not enough that, that
2: probably works in their
1: favor. Yeah. Um but not not in the eyes of Tottenham supporters, certainly not in the eyes of um Levy, I wouldn't I wouldn't think. And you know, he's someone who can come in and can work with young players and can get the best of, out of what he has and and won't necessarily demand huge amounts of money, although maybe that's changed since he's been, he's tasted life at PSG. I doubt it, though. He'd be more amenable to getting the best out of what he has and building from there. And that's probably what Levy wants, because there's no there's no check, Andrew, no blank check coming uh, Conte's way anytime soon. There just isn't. That's not the way Tottenham operate.
2: It's not, although I do want to say, like, Conte, he may be he maybe has done a successful job of kind of pushing this idea that he has not been backed. And that is nonsense. That is total BS. I mean, like, again, it's an ownership group with Daniel Levy and Enoch that like, yeah, we, we kind of know them as, as trying to be thrifty in the way they go about um, their, their signings. But like this guy has been at Tottenham for just two windows, a January and a summer, and they've spent over 240 million pounds on in that time yeah. you know so right. like like i you know and and players that have come in and been meaningful pieces like not players that have flamed out and failed benton core kulisevsky um parasich has been excellent when he was healthy you know richarlison was making an impact we remember that game in the champions league when he scored twice so like you know like it hasn't been just wasteful spending across the board so like it takes a little bit of nerve to see that they've spent $240 million and then say, like, well, I haven't been back. He hasn't used those words exactly, but he's made it clear he needs more investment. Well, that's a that's a tricky thing for a team to do when, like, they have no idea if this guy is going to want to remain with them past this season. You're going to go out and spend, you know, another $100 million in a January window on a manager who may not be with you in six months, and, like, now you're left with all his pieces and another manager's got to make it fit? it's I understand they're in a tricky position, like there were levy out chants that were starting um at the game over the weekend and like look, after the whole super league fiasco, I do understand why there will be certain people that he can never win back, but I don't think those chants were because of that. I think it's just because like Conte has pushed this idea that there's not investment and i I don't know i'm not I'm not really a levy out person i'm not I'm not how about like your antonio Conte make someone better than they were before you got there? on this team. Yeah. Is there, like look up and down the roster, the squad for Tottenham. Like, is there that's anyone more... you would say is markedly better now than before he got there? And like, I know it hasn't been that long of a time, I guess Kulusevski and Benton but like they weren't, they weren't there before Conte, before Conte. It's not like, like, I guess he improved them from what they were at Juventus. So I'll give him credit, but like who, who on Tottenham would you say that about? I don't know. No.
1: Yeah. I mean, as much, as much as I think uh, the huge investment that's gone into Newcastle, has made a big difference in where they are now on the table. You know, Miguel Almiron is a better player because Eddie Howe is manager. That's simple as that. And there is a sense, um, sometimes when you hear these managers complain where, and I mean all of them, every single one of them, because they all do it. There is a sense where you're like, why don't you do some coaching? <laughs> you know, you're not going to turn certain players into absolute world beaters, but you can make them better. Like you, there, you can get improvements out of them. And um, yeah so so basically you're saying Tottenham are in crisis
2: yeah, yeah sure okay why not? Why not? Your last um,
1: one here on the crisis countdown i I really i I don't like.
2: Manchester City,
1: yeah, let me get this out of the way quickly. Uh-huh. No, they're not yeah. in crisis, <laughs> okay. They've drawn a game against everton, which they are completely capable of drawing. They have dropped points. we know they lost to Brentford, which seems like last season it's so long ago. Yeah, that can happen to City even in their best moments. We've seen it, but they're not in crisis. They've faced an Arsenal team that is pretty much apart from that. Um, Drop points uh, against Southampton, and then obviously they, they defeat at Old Trafford. Apart from that, Arsenal have been flawless, and uh, and City have not. But 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 you know, if I see a way back into this for City, I know numerically now the head to head means that. City couldn't overhaul. If Arsenal won all their games and City accept uh, defeats at City, like Arsenal would still what, be a point ahead. That's the cushion they've built. But uh, you know, outside of that, I still see a way back for City into this title race. So I'm not... City in crisis. No, no,
2: no, no, no. I agree. I mean, it's seven points. Um, the gap... It's a which good is, lead. Which is why a- I... Yeah, which is why I even put, it, put them down here as one uh, where we could suggest it. But... I could, I can see a world where they do make that up. The depth yeah. that they have, you know, again, like the season for however it feels where we're at in the calendar, like that we're not halfway, you know, like we're not at the halfway point of this season. There's still a lot of football to be played and the calendar is going to be condensed. And so like... You're going to continue to have players that are going to have to deal with rest issues, with injury issues, little knocks here and there. Uh, and those things I think we've come to know over the years just don't affect Manchester City the way that they do other teams. And so I'm kind of factoring that in. I, I don't know. Like Again, it's jarring to see them seven points back of anyone, um, especially someone that isn't Liverpool um, during this yeah. era. Uh, but like, <laughs> I can. it's not an insurmountable number. Not for them. No, for some teams not. it would be. Not for them.
1: No, and it's actually kind of disappointing you put them on the rundown at all. Really, for this, save. I think a lot of people are kind of disappointed in you. Really, really I'm shocked.
2: Even though I've said that they're not in crisis, that still doesn't—that's not enough.
1: I know, uh, I know, but like we don't do I mean, articles. I just drew on, with Everton, JJ. Yeah, Come but on. We, we don't do articles on. You don't see an article, the sun. It's not the moon. You don't. You know. You just don't see that. Uh, and so you've—I've just... I've written some of
2: those. <laughs> You're just not reading the right publications.
1: Yeah. All right. We should leave the crisis clubs and go to the, ooh, they're a good club.
2: Yeah. Now, at the other end of the crisis scale, uh, we'll go through some of these quickly. I mean, start with Arsenal. I mean, like, this is, again, with with the combination of them continuing to look as good as they look, scoring early, um, you know, that combined with City drawing against Everton, a team near the bottom, uh, like it's is we kind of talked about this the other day too but this title push has never felt more real than it's feeling right about now
1: no it really does and the kind of i know they let uh brighton back into it in the second half and there were some worrying moments uh evan ferguson's goal by the way an irish person scored in the premier league that just filled my heart even if it wasn't a defeat that was that's huge it's such a rarity um but yeah, like they let Brighton back into it a little bit in the second half. There were some kind of worrying moments, but Arsenal were very, very good. And the ease with which they dealt with Brighton, which like visits to Brighton for like for Arsenal, or even having Arsenal play Brighton, and in any ground has been tough the last few years. Um, and and so to see them get off to that start, they were so comfortable it was almost inevitable some complacency would would slip in. They looked really good. They looked good in transition. They look good in, in, I mean, Odegaard's pass for Martinelli. I mean, we're talking about sensual passes, Andrew. Passes we're going to remember for the uh, when the season's over. In terms of that, assists, it was just beautiful. Round-the-corner ball, uh, perfect pacing, whipped straight into him, and he slotted home nicely. Um, they looked really, really comfortable in what should have been a trickier tie than it was. Now, it should be noted, we're talking on the eve of them playing, or the day of them playing, Newcastle United in, yeah. the, in the Premier League. Now that is it's a home game, but that is a real test for them now. Um, I know Newcastle were thwarted by Leeds, very good Le- Leeds performance, but that second half, it was pretty much all Newcastle. Um, and there was, I don't know, I don't think there was a certain amount of luck. I thought Leeds defended very well and were very aggressive in midfield and held Newcastle off, limited Newcastle admirably but let's not pretend Newcastle aren't a good side in in good form so that's a real test for them today um but yeah you just if you're an Arsenal fan you feel do you feel good though
2: you probably don't feel good yes you feel good but you're also this is incredible what's happening with them right now this was never supposed to be happening this quickly again trajectory was was in the right direction but this seven points ahead of City in January atop the table yeah how are you, you not ta- feeling if you're not feeling good right now then get out of this. This is yeah. not for you. <laughs>
1: Have you talked to Arsenal fans though? Like in person cuz I've talked to a few and the trepidation is real. Like even at this point in the season there's they're so worried about, you know, blips or collapses or thing, you know, things of that nature because it's kind of so long since they've been this relevant at the top of the table. Um, yeah,
2: that's yeah, interesting. But,
1: but, yeah, they do there's so I talked to a few over Christmas. Um, uh, a few in, in Ennis in, 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 Ireland. And, you know, there's a lot of honesty at the bar, Andrew, there can be a lot of sports honesty and over a pint, you know, I was saying, what a season you guys are having. No, this was before the resumption. So, um, uh, yeah, but you know, it's not even halfway and, uh, Jesus is out. Uh, I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not getting carried away. That that kind of talk, but, uh, I think they should allow themselves to get carried away. They're, they've been very, very good. That's, that, that's I mean, look,
2: that is the measured, like, rational approach. It's not halfway. That's true. And the team chasing them is not just some team. It's, like, you know, it's a behemoth. Um, so, like, yeah, that's probably the right approach. But in terms of, like, like <laughs> I hope it's not getting in the way of, of them enjoying this. Like, this is, this is unbelievable. Because it's not just that they're winning, but, like, they're playing so well. Uh, it's, you know, these are not yeah. ugly wins. No. By any stretch. Um, I think this, you know, I'm not always a huge, like, I don't know. Like, there's a reason we don't do a ton on transfer rumors. Like, I just don't always love the idea of, like, the answer for any club is spend. Spend, 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 spend. Right. Like, I just, I don't love that. Sometimes that feels lazy to me. Having said that, I am fascinated by what Arsenal are going to do this month. Because whether they were ready for it or or not, here you are. Like, you, you you're seven points up, and it's the January transfer window, and the team chasing you is Man City. It's it's go for it time. This these situations, who knows? Like City, Liverpool, United, like these clubs are big spending clubs, and they're you know they're going to be good again. And I'm not saying Arsenal aren't in this for the long haul, but like a situation has been presented to them here that may not come along again. You never know. Um, so like they have, I think they have to go for it. And so I, I know a lot of it has been about Mikelo um, uh, Mudrik from Shakhtar Donetsk and what is that Ugh. price tag going to be and I know it keeps going up and up and up and like if you're Arsenal you don't want to be held hostage but by the same token like this is their chance It's this is their only window now for the rest of the season to do the things that need to be done to boost this club and and keep them at arm's length from from this this fearful beast that's chasing them in Manchester City you know, so what are they going to do? They can't just sit on their laurels. I know that it feels that way right now; everything is going great. Um, but th- this is their only window to be able to improve this club from now- from now between now and the end of the season. And I think they they have to take advantage of it, even if it means spending more than they would have wanted to. Like th- you spend the money because you want to win a title, and right now they're they're half they're pretty much halfway there. Like this is they- they've got to go for it. I'm. I'm
1: so curious. We're probably going to do a podcast. What? What would you say Wednesday night, Thursday, at some point, um, to tie up the rest of the games, and because uh, the games are coming thick and fast. I'm just like Newcastle and Arsenal today is a fascinating one. It really is. Yeah, that's um, cause it, cause it is a t- a test for them in a season where they've pretty much Barry United t- past all their tests.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh so we'll see how it goes. That will be a really interesting one. Uh let's continue now quickly now for the last couple here. JJ uh Manchester United. Uh haven't lost in the league since November 6th. I know there was a little break in there, but still. Um they've gotten out from uh I guess the, the dead weight of, of Ronaldo. Feels like they've got the right manager. I would think to take them uh, to take them forward. I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of been a while since we've said this, but I feel like it's it's an all right time to be a United fan. Yeah.
1: It's a it really is uh, to the point where they can the manager can even slot uh, Luke Shaw in as a center back in a game and get away with it it's there's no problems with it um and you know he's been a disciplined daddy and you know the way he's managed Marcus Rashford and the form he's in has been I didn't really see it coming again I don't know how many times I thought next guy out the door will be Marcus Rashford <laughs> but um uh, but it hasn't been the case and and to get what he got out of him, you know, he was late in the week, so that meant he was dropped and wouldn't start for Manchester United. And then to spring him off the bench, and have him score the winner in a tricky one against Wolves. I mean, they're not, they're by no means the finished article under Ten Hag, but the levels of of the levels of better that they've been under him has been has been pretty great. And um, yeah, I mean, they're they're in a serious run for the top four now. All I mean. Everything's been complicated by the fact that Newcastle are as good as they are. This whole picture has been kind of because there's one place that that you really feel like Newcastle can take um, in that top four. So it's uh, it's a little bit more complicated, but at the same time, you if you're a Manchester United fan, you're you're feeling pretty good about about what you've seen so far under Ten Hag. Albeit it's it is it is still early, and 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 they are not. You can just tell from him they're not you know, close to even being the side he wants them to be.
2: Yeah. Um, And, you know, for a new manager at a club coming from, you know, like Ajax are a big club, but it's different a little bit because it's, you know, they're not like one of the giants right now in terms of the league they play in. Um, You know, the expectations around them are, you know, different than like going from that to Manchester United. And so with that, you know, he's had to impress a lot of people quickly and he's had some really tricky situations to navigate, like the Ronaldo situation. For her, for however simple we thought it was, oh, just don't play him, get rid of him. Like it's we have to understand it's not always that simple. Like he no. he is you know he's this gravitational force in this sport. Um, you know, so with that comes a lot of tricky pitfalls. So he navigated that and he's he's won essentially. You know, Rashford is this informed player, uh, you know, who breaks a rule and it's okay, like all eyes on Ten Hog now, what are you going to do? And he held firm, rules are rules here, you will not be late, you will sit. Um, and, you know, he's done these things and like, it seems to be working. And I think this is probably how, like we talk all the time about culture, you know, well, I think I think you're kind of witnessing a course right now in, in like how you build a winning culture, uh, you know, adhering to the rules but still finding a way to get performances from guys and keep them on your side and you know him and rashford hugged after the game and like it's um yeah i think i think if you're a united fan right now you you've got to feel good about this manager definitely um finally jj one more here that has to be included uh brentford brentford i mean just like what is going on here like just just even coming back from this break draw with spurs where they were excellent in that one going up two nil beat west ham beat liverpool up to seventh in the league mm. this is like there are not there's not a ton of like big name players there this is this is pretty extraordinary what they're doing
1: yeah it definitely is um they're just very, very physical, very, very hard to play against. They have, you know, a very clear identity. They know what they are, and and they get goals as well. Uh, which is what it's would not, that
2: be, by the way? Not to put you on the spot, not to put you on the spot, but like when you say they have a very clear identity, what what is that to you?
1: Well, what I think of straight away is the long diagonal pass. That's what I think of. Okay. Um, I think of the like their physicality, their ability to win balls. They they do things like that are just so like in in terms of if you had to drill them in training, are you know they're minute and they're probably very tedious to coach. But like the way they cut off passing lanes, the way they stop you playing, you know, I, I that sounds negative because I'm making them kind of sound like. A team that sits in, they don't do that. They do all the things that really hard to play against teams do, but they also carry a threat. Like the like the ball over the top for Embuemo against Kanate, like Kanate is like he's in the upper tier of defenders in the world. Like, you know, plays for France, plays for Liverpool. And the way that ball was played, it's it's a good ball. Embuemo chases it down, he has enough physicality to outmuscle Kanate and he scores. That's probably if i had a in my mind a, a classic brentford goal that would be it but then you look look at the goals they scored some brilliant goals uh, to win against city um before the break so there is they're very good in transition i'm, I'm just listing a load of their qualities here really uh they're yeah. they're hard to play against but they also carry a threat that's the best way to describe them i guess
2: it's amazing like it's it's why in this sport you just can't you just can't do that thing that we do so often where we look at a fixture list and we're like, okay, well, they're going to lose that. They're going to lose that. They'll draw that one maybe. Maybe they'll win. The- you, you can't do it. If I told you, J.J., I mean, I know we were separated by a World Cup break in between, but, like, they were entering a stretch where they were going to be – they had four consecutive Premier League matches against City, Spurs, West Ham, and Liverpool. And you look at that and you would think, okay, well, like – they're not going to do well there so they're going to have to compensate for it other points in the season. They've taken 10 out of 12 points from those four games. <laughs> yeah. The only one being blowing a two-goal lead against Spurs, I which know. ended in a 2-2 draw. That, That's their that, only dropped points.
1: That now looks like a disastrous uh, point compared to the others. Yeah, it just <laughs> yeah, very very good Andrew and um you know, they've they've got the old style of uh, of a really difficult side matched, you know, because look at the pitch they play on as well. I mean, it's a rugby field. It's London Irish's home, and it always looks a little bit dodgy. Um, but they just—they make it so difficult for you. They're good in transition. They cut off passing lanes. They stop you from playing, and they hurt you. And they Liverpool found them just a complete handful.
2: I wonder where all this, where this all ends for their manager, for Thomas Frank. He's he's quickly becoming—you know—there's always a man of the moment in the Premier League managerial wise he's it right now all eyes on him yeah we'll yeah see. he's
1: uh his stock is really up
2: kind of the alexis McAllister of in of managers right now <laughs> just this guy <laughs> lovely reception like, for him speaking of which that? oh that that was spectacular that was beautiful
1: yeah the whole staff of, may, of the whole staff of brighton showed up and uh i guess it was at the training ground and he walks in and they're all just there, just clapping him. It was lovely, and he hugs and embraces everybody. They were, uh... and again, the turnaround for McAllister. I mean, I remember doing a preview season previews like two seasons ago, where we're like, "Why is he being loaned back to Argentina? Like, <laughs> this guy looks like he's got pedigree. Uh, you know, he couldn't even get in their squad. had to had to go back to Bucca Juniors for a little bit. But um, yeah, fantastic. Now a World Cup yeah. winner, amazing.
2: Yeah and and like not to read too much into it but like the reception that he got there i don't know like maybe i am reading too much into it but i saw like i felt like you don't do that for just anyone like i i got the sense that he's a beloved figure there like oh, I, think I think you so. only you can always be ha- you'd be happy for anybody who won a world cup and like they would all get some you know hugs and all that and, and a nice warm reception when they came back but like they basically they rolled out a red carpet for him in a way that felt really unique. Like to me I was like he must be a good guy too. He's a good You're player, Im- but he must be he must be a good guy to like get to to get that kind of reception when he came. Yeah. Back.
1: You're immediately making me think of players who would not get that reception. And uh, I I go back and this is a little bit of a deep cut. I go back to El Hadji Juff. Uh <laughs> okay. If he won that you know say I think he he won the uh uh African Cup of Nations. Now it was before he joined Liverpool, so I guess it would be the same. But he would not. I mean, he'd be lucky if the receptionist turned up to say hello to him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, why don't oh, you? Man. Why don't you at us at players that wouldn't have got that reception? At you, right. soccer pod, on, soccer pod on Twitter, uh, caught offside pod on Instagram. Let us know who you think wouldn't get a good reception,
2: and what would that look like? What would the anti-McAllister reception back to a club look like? I mean, it would range from
1: nobody being there, from one being there, one person being there and going, "boo,"
2: right? Yeah, or just like uh, a a bag of dog poo left on like his uh, on his, his locker. That's uh, aggressive. Welcome back, bud. Wow. Come on. Um, let's see a couple a couple quick ones to close out on JJ. So it's January third, twenty twenty three, which means for three days now, uh, technically the U.S. Men's National Team has not had a manager, Greg no. Berhalter. His contract expired when the clock struck midnight on twenty twenty two um I would say that this situation is it's weird uh you know that there's technically no one really at the helm right now um i've seen there's there's borderline outrage over it uh over not necessarily the fact that they haven't that they haven't picked a new manager yet but more so the fact that no one from u s soccer has spoken about where things stand. Uh, in terms of who the manager is going to be. I guess you can put me in the category of someone that would I would love to hear from someone, but I get it. Like, I don't... The World Cup... Like, this is different. This is not like when a World Cup ends in July and you've got, you know, five months to figure out what happens next. Uh, This World Cup ended a week ago, (laughs) two weeks ago. So, like, I do understand U.S. soccer taking their time. There's not really there's not really a reason to rush here. Uh th- at least that's that's the way I see this. No, but, they can but, they can afford to take some time here and get this as right as they think they can get it.
1: No, I know, but it's a little it's in around 3 weeks until uh you know well, like a a, a team has to be called for camp for January 25th and it we, and we it will Serbia be and it'll and,
2: that will happen.
1: Yeah, sure. Um that's strange. We're in a nether zone now. We're in a, a gregless zone. He's there, but he's not there. I, I'm very curious as, as to what they do. I think, um, I think US soccer will be hedging their bets a little bit. I think they'll go a little bit short-term. Um, I think they'll try and see... You know, it's tough because if they don't renew, then they start a search immediately for the next manager. But if they do renew with him and say, you know, knock him on, hey, we'll give you another two years, will he want that? He's like, two years? Well, why would you do that? Well, do you not have confidence in me? So it's like this weird thing where U.S. soccer may not want to commit fully but want someone just in place. Um, And there's no qualifiers, so it's just There's. – you're right, though. There's time to be played with, and you can tell that there's – there's no kind of imperative to do or say anything right now, but I want to know what their thought process is. Like, sure, I'm sure there's been an internal review after the World Cup. I'm sure it involved who would it involve? Brian McBride, Ernie Stewart, Ernie Stewart, yeah. I, I would love to know uh, Cindy Parlo Cohn as well, probably. I'd love to know the thinking. What what has emerged from that from those conversations? Um, and we won't know that. I have Brian McBride's number though. Should I call him?
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, do it. What time is it? Yeah, I'm sure he he would love to get that call at this early hour. I think it's weird oh, it's weird it. just
1: to, just to call him. I mean, we've never spoken.
2: Yes, yes, it would be, it would be strange. Um, but yeah, like you said, I would love to hear from them just because I'm I'm a fan and I'm curious. But it, like, they probably don't have much to say right now. Like, I'm this is probably still an ongoing review. Um. Uh, I don't know how long that takes, but I guess I guess what I'm saying is I'm just not surprised that we, A, haven't heard anything, B, there have been no decisions made. Like, I'm not... And remember, too, um, maybe I'm this way to a fault. I was, you know, under the previous manager change from Sarakin to Bearhalter, remember how long that took yeah. uh, for the U.S. to get a manager in. And I was fine with it then. Uh, so I suppose it's... It, it's not it shouldn't be surprising to anyone to hear me now only a couple of weeks after World Cup has ended where the U.S.'s performance was kind of like, again, it was sort of the Darwin Nunez of performances. You can kind of see from it whatever and take from it whatever you want to take from it. Like they got out of a a tricky group, um, which was a success, but like it wasn't a thing of beauty like, you know, the tie against Wales. Um, you know not an inability to really score goals like i don't know it's the Gio reina situation like you can take from it what you want to take from it like Bearhalter, was it good man management that like he had this player who was a problem who could have helped him but he held to his he held to his principles or was it bad man management that like why did they get to that situation in the first place uh you know it's so the situation with him is it is not as clear cut as either side wants you to think it is. At least that's that is how I feel about it. So, like again, if you're looking for outrage from us over how this is being handled up to this point, I would say you will you will not find that outrage here. I think that they they can they can be careful with this one, and I'm and I will afford them that luxury. It's fine with me if that happens. Um, and finally, JJ. Uh, finally, look, we,
1: I yeah. I honestly would have led the show with this.
2: Oh wow. What a thing for you to say. For me, it's finally because the sense that I've gotten from you with regards to Cristiano Ronaldo is that you've had it. You don't want to talk about him anymore. You're frustrated with his presence within this sport, and you just kind of want to tuck him away in a corner and sort of forget about him. And no. so I, I was not going to lead the show with it, but uh, but here we are. It's now official. Ronaldo has made his move to Al Nasser, uh, which I guess he's certainly getting paid. I'm sure he'll be idolized by by millions of Saudi fans. But, I mean, this is harsh to say, but it would appear as though Ronaldo's time is, as a truly relevant soccer player has come to an end.
1: Yeah, I was... I mean, I couldn't find a fit for him based on wages and based on what he'd actually give a team. But his whole kind of premise about United and how he couldn't stay and his agitation for moving from from like the end of last summer from August, September and then later on with the interview with Piers Pierce Morgan was that the standards of the club weren't high enough and that he wouldn't be in the Champions League and he, he couldn't countenance this and he wanted to look for a Champions League site and now he goes to Al Nasser for I mean he's going to get paid something in the region of three million a week which is just absolutely staggering um yeah I it's, it's a sad end it really is a sad end um and and I and you know, speaking in a larger context, the fact that two of the, the the greatest players in the world now are somehow in the pocket of the Saudis, Messi with the as their tourism ambassador, and now uh, Cristiano Ronaldo as as a paid employee of Al Nasser is is kind of concerning. And then I read this weird thing on Marca, which I've seen reported a few other places, but it's it's Marca who had the original story. That should Newcastle United uh, make the Champions League? Uh, that will trigger a transfer for Ronaldo to Newcastle, because apparently Al Nassr mm-hmm. are owned by the PIF as well. Um, and I, and I look at that and I think this—that is in its own way sick too. I mean, Eddie Howe, what a job Eddie Howe is doing. I, I mean, he's <laughs> like. Despite the fact he's had huge help from from the Saudis with the players he's brought in, he has done a lot of good things himself. And to have this achievement, then to have Ronaldo foisted on him—a Ronaldo that's not been training at the highest level, who's been in Saudi Arabia—oh, right, he goes to you now. It would be—I think—that would be an unconscionable interference in the in the running of of Newcastle. Do you not think?
2: Totally agree. He must. There must be part of him that is almost scared to qualify for champions league because he's wondering, "Oh God, what have I done now so, we
1: have to know the veracity of this from um like uh, the veracity of the report from from marca, but should that be the case, that is just just shocking yeah um, and like Ronaldo's not even gone to the best club in Saudi Arabia, you know he's gone to you know. I mean a team that doesn't really get hasn't got huge crowds will get huge crowds now he's there. Um but it just it's just there's something totally un just unedifying about it. And look, we've always said it, Ronaldo is you know, he's an odd person, I think. He's a he's so been so totally focused uh on himself, his career, stats, records. Uh it's you know, it's just a an, a very intense singularly focused way to live your life um but like there's no denying his place in the game and where he should be in the pantheon of and it's 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 almost like me with some players i i don't it's not that i don't want to see them go to mls it's it's because i i feel they should go out at the top or or go out in europe or go out somewhere but like going to saudi arabia it's even worse it's even worse it's makes no sense. Now apparently Sporting Kansas City were were right in the negotiations with Ronaldo uh to the well close to the very end. So there was a a possibility of him going to MLS, that was being considered. So I assume the legal impediments uh because of the ongoing uh, investigation in Las Vegas that has been closed to the point where he can come to the United States now. Um
2: I guess I was thinking about that too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, according to the reporting uh, that's been done on it, it, Sporting Kansas City were quite close to... Well, they were in the hunt, at least, to try and get him signed.
2: Incredible.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Kansas, Kansas um, City still... I mean, I would go there
2: before I go to Riyadh. It, it's... Oh, I've been know. to Kansas City. It was... It was great. I loved it there. I mean, it's still... Um, But it's just not... Like, there's such a a glamorous aura around Ronaldo. um, So you just kind of think, like, you you can only picture him playing in a place that is sort of, like, (laughs) befitting of that kind of person. Like, Miami, L.A., New York. Like, you know, there's just certain cities like that. Um, Kansas City is not one of them. It's just, like, classic middle America, like... I don't know. It's hard to. It just seems like a sitcom almost to play someone like him in that sort of environment. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen it though. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, but no, he's with Al Nasser now. And when and it's interesting when you go through their their squad. JJ, um, Vincent uh, Bubacar, who uh, scored the lovely goal at the World Cup for Cameroon. He's now a teammate of Ronaldo's. Uh, yeah. Pity Martinez, a teammate now of Ronaldo's. David Espina. The goalkeeper so that's it's interesting the one the final thing that i'll say about this is that um you know it's kind of been used as a way of like the debate on messi ronaldo is settled like look what's happened in the last month messi has hoisted the world cup trophy while ronaldo has been banished by essentially his club team his national team sent him from a starter to the bench and now he's gone off to a league where we'll kind of never see him again, and like that's it, debate settled. A couple things on that: I've always been a Messi guy. Um, for me, the, like as great as Ronaldo is, I've I've felt for some time now that Messi is the the person that I would choose in that debate. However yeah. silly any of this is to even be doing this, but the only reason I bring this up is because like, in fairness to Ronaldo, this is like. I, don't, I can't use this as the time to say that the debate is settled. We sometimes forget because so much of their prime overlapped, but like we're now entering a stage in their career where years matter, and Ronaldo is two and a half years older than Lionel Messi. Sure. That matters if we're going to be talking about this at this stage in their career. Like, it's, it's not fair to say this now that this has settled the debate. Let's see where Messi is two and a half years from now. I'd say there's a good chance he might be in MLS or maybe he'll have retired altogether. Now, I could be wrong if he kicks on and he's doing stuff at age 37 and a half or 38 and he's still in the Champions League and he's then sure, then you can say debate is settled. When Ronaldo was that age, he was off to Saudi Arabia. So like then we can say it, but here in the moment, that that to me is not fair. Uh, I'll at least I'll at least grant Ronaldo that.
1: Yeah, I haven't really thought about that that kind of angle to it. Uh, another interesting one is that we kind of thought that in the future it would be Messi and Suarez at Inter Miami. And Suarez has made another transfer. So he went to Nacional instead of going to Inter Miami or going to MLS. And he won a championship there and he's left Nacional and now he's gone to newly promoted Grêmio in the uh, Brazilian Serie A. So I didn't see that coming really. Um, But it, it just, it just goes to show we've, you know, MLS is a draw to us in our minds, the idea of playing soccer in America, but maybe not to everybody. Um, because for for the, for the quite a while, I thought it was nailed on that Suarez would be at Inter Miami. One one other thing before we get out, Andrew. Old Firm Derby yesterday. Uh, Celtic go 1-0 up. Uh, Rangers roar back 2-1 lead. And it looks as if Rangers are going to get their win. But no, no, no. Uh, Kyogo... Gets a late, relatively late equaliser and it's, uh, yeah, no, a late equaliser, 88 minute for Kyogo and it's a 2-2 draw. Pretty enjoyable game. I should say that the US influence was fairly strong in this one. Cameron Carter-Vickers had an all-time block on Malik Tillman at uh, at 2-1. If that goes 3-1, now uh, Tillman seems to dally on the ball just a little bit. He's like winding up to smash the ball, but... It's such a good piece of play from Cameron Carter Vickers and he looked I mean, he looked very, very good in that game. Uh Tillman was okay. He had he had his moments too, but I think generally uh in terms of the battle of the Yanks, Cameron Carter Vickers came off as uh the strongest and looks again, looks like a guy that maybe should be anchoring that, that US central defense alongside Tim reem if if we're to pick our preferred pairing. And uh Jim Sands came off the bench then for Tillman, I think it was. Uh, towards the end of that game too. So a big chance for Rangers to to cut the gap at the top uh to I think it was to 6 points but um no. Uh they were denied and that's uh, so a really in 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 the context of of the title race that's a really good point for Celtic.
2: Yeah, certainly is. Um also I I should say for people screaming at their their phones right now or their radios or however they're listening to us. I did just see the report JJ from Mark Ogden that just came out early this oh. morning. Uh, that um, if you said this and I missed it, my bad. But uh, Al Nasser telling ESPN that reports of that clause to join Newcastle are quote fake. It's not real. Doesn't exist. America,
1: we'll Marca we'll letting see. us down.
2: But you can see it's within the realms of
1: how they might have sold that to Ronaldo. You know, um, <laughs> I could
2: see it, but it may not be true.
1: Oh, I mean, so, well, I mean, it, I, it, it, we'll if find I find out. Eddie, how, if I was Eddie How I'd walk. I would just <laughs> walk. I mean, here you go. Here's, here's a guy that can't run anymore and really wants to play in the Champions League. No thanks. Yeah. Oh, uh,
2: thank you. I don't know what to do with this. Um, hey, that's about it, my friend. That about does it. Um, to everybody out there, I hope, I hope your uh, 2023 start has been a good one. We thank you for being with us at the start of your new year. Uh, the soccer continues to come fast and furious. There's games every day. Uh, Enjoy, like we said, Arsenal-Newcastle is later today. Enjoy that. That's a really fun one Um, all throughout the week. uh, It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop, and we love it. Um, That's about all I got, my friend. To you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. I'll see you, man. Take care, Andrew. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.